Thank you, Bill. Let's everybody pray together as we open this service this morning and invite the Lord into our midst here and to bless each and every one of us. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and blessings, Lord, here today. We thank you for the privilege to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for your many blessings upon your people. Thank you for the word of God, Lord. It is a light to our feet, a lamp unto our pathway. We magnify your name and we praise you, Jesus, for all things and glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. Or the one behind you or in front of you, if you're near someone. If not, don't worry about it. <laughs> praise God. <laughs> amen. And we've been studying the book of Romans uh, before I get into our lesson today, I uh, just want to say here today's Mother's Day, and we've got some real good special treats coming up here today for us in, in our morning service, but I wanted to uh, greet my mother. My mother wa is watching. She's 97 years old, and she watches every Sunday morning, and uh, so I say, hello, Mom. God bless you. It's so... Uh, Nice to be speaking to you again here this morning, praise God. And I appreciate my mom, if I can just say a few words about her being Mother's Day and so forth. Appreciate my mother very much. She's a great lady, amen. And appreciate all things about her. Mothers are very special. The older I get, the more I realize, you know, I never realized that as a young man growing up and working and making a living and for the family and everything. When I get older, I realize how important that mother's role is. Now, not that I didn't realize how important it was, but it becomes more important as I see the all the small things that mothers do, the small things that we consider small, they're big things for that child and for that little small one that's growing up, but that mother does for that child to help that child to get into life. And I remember a lot of things that my own mother uh, did, you know, as a kid growing up, uh, she was very innovative, my mother was. She was, she just knew how to, she knew how to do things. I don't know where she learned them. I guess she learned them from her brothers. She had uh, four, or five, four or five brothers, I think five, and one of them passed away. But uh, she had a bunch of brothers, and she learned a lot of things about, uh, about boys from her brothers. And uh, she just knew how to get a lot of things done. I asked her one time, I said, what? were some of the happiest days of your life. And she says, it was in the summertime when I'd go visit my grandmother, which would be my great-grandmother. And uh, she'd go to this small town uh, that was about 40 miles from Pensacola where we lived. And she would spend a week there with her, her grandmother. And her grandmother was a widow woman. And uh, she'd go there and stay with her. And she said, my grandmother would say to me, we'd wake up in the morning and she'd say, now Ruth, Today, we're going to go pick blueberries. And so she would get all of her blue, her baskets or whatever they had and things. And, and they'd go down the road and down a trail. And they knew where she knew where there was a blueberry bushes or trees or over there. And the people who owned these things never bothered anybody who was a widow or an orphan because it came from the Bible. These people had a right to pick fruit and food out of anybody's fields, you know, because of their status of life. And so she'd get up and say, we're going to go pick blueberries. And so they'd go there and they'd pick blueberries and 
come home and then she'd fix all up blueberry muffins and pies and all that kind of stuff. And the next day that she said we'd wake up, my grandmother would say, today we're going to go go pull gophers. Gophers was like a little land turtle that we call them. The gophers up north is a little furry animal that goes into the hole. But this is in the south, they call these land turtles, gophers, you know, they bore down in the hole. And she knew how to take a vine, this great grandmother of mine, and she knew how to take a vine and twist it down in there and get a hold of that gopher and pull him out. And of course, and then she knew how to dress that gopher and make meat out of it. And then she would make stew out of it. And so then she'd had a big pot of stew, gopher or turtle stew, whatever you want to call it. And so they would do that one day. And then the next day she'd say, okay, Ruth, today we're going to go fishing. And they'd go to a stream someplace, take their poles and things, and they would fish and they'd catch fish and they'd take it back home and clean them up, you know, the little, little brim thing, clean them all up and then fry fish and have fish, you know. And she was constantly doing that. My mother said that her, her grandmother uh, was also a, a fishing net mender. Uh, I don't know, I don't know the technique of this, but uh, the fishing nets, you know, are these little squares, and every every knot has to be tied right, otherwise it slips or slides. So you has to be tied so that it won't slide around. It's, it's permanent. And uh, she knew how to do all of that knitting and the fishing nets. So in her town where she lived, she'd walk down to where all the fishing nets would be put up to dry on big big spindles and things. The guys would fish at night and they'd come back in. And if they had any nets that had holes in them or had developed holes or torn holes in them, they would have them over to one side. And all they do was just hung them there. And she'd take a little stool and she'd say to my mother, now, I've got one here for you today. And she'd take her little knitting equipment, all of her, her cords or strings and stuff that she'd use. And she'd go down there and she'd sit down in front of, she'd find the nets. She'd sit down on that little old stool and she'd fix those nets. Never say a word to nobody. And everybody knew who she was. They knew what she was doing. She'd fix those nets and everything, work there maybe all day long, fixing all those nets. And then she would just leave it and go away. And one day, next day or so, somebody would come by and drop her off a check, you know, for money for her fixing all those nets. There was so much involved in there. And that was what she did on the side. And it's all kind of little things like this. And my mother said, it's amazing to me how that some of the old timers were so innovative. It, it just amazes me. And uh, she learned so many things like this. It, 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 they had little rabbit traps they'd put out in the woods. And they said, okay, Ruth, today we're going to go check on the rabbit traps. Uh, you know, and so they'd go out there, and sure enough, they'd, she'd go there, and the little trap, the door would shut, and, and everything inside had caught a rabbit. And she says, today we're going to have rabbit stew, you know, <laughs> whatever. So it was always something, and I know some of you can relate to this. You, I know you can. But it was always something going and so innovative and knew how to just do things. I remember as a, as a kid one time, uh, I was just getting bored to death. And I said, Mom, I, was, I remember it was, it was in March. And, uh, and I said, Mom, I don't know what to do. I'm tired. I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. I was just grumbling around. And she says, Let's make a kite and fly it. Just like that. I didn't know how to make it. I said, I don't know anything about it. She said, I'll make us a kite. So she takes a knife and a hammer and she goes out to a fence post out 
at the, at the edge of our yard, and she goes down the fence post looking at them real close, and then she finds one, and she looks at the, the way it's made and everything. Then she puts that knife in the top, and she taps that knife down, and she gets a long strip of wood, and she says, now this is juniper, smell of it. I smell of it. Yeah, it had a devil. She said, you can always tell juniper by the way it smells. <laughs> if I, if I, if some of you folks will understand what I'm saying. And juniper is the lightest wood and the strongest wood for its, for its size, for its lightness. Anyhow, she made those strips of wood, came back and everything, put little notches on the end, put a string all around it like this, a big height, and laid it down. I watched her do the whole thing. Then she went and got a newspaper. Came back, put a newspaper on the table, laid this little framework on top of the newspaper, and cut about an inch or two out, about two inches away from the string on the outside all the way around, and that was beyond the string edge. And then she took some flour and water and, and, and mixed it all up with your finger and made a paste out of it. How many of you know, know something about that? Okay, some of you do. And then she took that paste and she smeared it all around the edges and then she folded it over the string and everything made it and let it dry for just a few minutes and you had a kite. And then she put a hole in the middle where the two bars came together and put a string on that and that was our cord we had we were going to fly it with. And then she went and got some old rags or someplace and tied them all together and made a tail and hooked it onto the bottom of that kite and said, now let's go fly it. And she went, he went out in this old this field out there and everything, put that thing against the wind and boy, here it went up, you know, <laughs> she's flying back. And I said, mom, where did you learn? I, oh, she said, you know, we used to do stuff like this. I mean, there was, nobody went and bought anything. Nobody, you know, had to go to the store. It's like the, the store didn't have it. It's too bad, you don't have anything. It wasn't that at all. It was just, and then we was flying kites, you know, the next thing I know, some other guy was over there flying a kite and everything. If anybody had a bought kite, it was like, ha, ha, ha. What are you going to bought kite that? We had newspapers, you know. I remember one day when my dad came in. We had made a kite. My dad had come in. <laughs> he had the kite sitting over in a chair reading the, reading the news on the kite. I had gotten a hold of the newspaper too early, you know. And, and he, he never liked you messing with his newspaper until he had read it. And there he was taking the kite and turning it around, <laughs> reading the news. You know, I think it was all on the kite. <clears throat> but anyway, I would fly those kites, you know, and everything. What I never told my mother, we eventually did. We'd put razor blades on the edge of those woods. And then we'd fly them up there and we'd try to run into other kites and we'd cut somebody's string or try to have a war with the kites, you know, and so forth like that. That was boring. She never knew about that. I never, Mom, you never knew about that. But anyhow. <laughs> We did stuff like that and everything. But it's amazing to me how innovative, though, that that generation was. And I just greatly admire them for, for all the things and for the many things that they, uh, they did like that. Uh, she just seemed to know how to get things done. And, and uh, we, my dad, during, I remember uh, washing the car on a Sunday afternoon with my dad. We were out washing the car. I was six years old. And uh, it was December the 7th, 1941. Some of you old timers remember that date. And we were washing the car and my dad had the radio playing music. And all of a sudden there was an interruption and there was a broadcast 
and I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't listen to all the words. I wasn't, I was just watching the car. But I saw an expression change on my dad. I saw a look on his face that changed. And uh, I, uh, I, I said, he said, let's get through, son, and we got we to gotta get through here, and I'm going to go inside. I could, I could tell a mood had changed with him suddenly. And it was, it was Pearl Harbor Day, and America suddenly was thrown into World War II. And everything began to change and so forth. And my dad had to be gone a lot. The factories ran 24 hours a day. He was in the shipyard business. And he was a leaderman, in fact, in the shipyard. And uh, always involved and gone a lot. And my mother would say to me, son, and your dad's going to have to be out of town for a couple of days. But he says, she says, but you'll be my man. You'll be my little man here and everything. And I had to make sure everything was, you know, taken care of and, my job was always to make sure kerosene was in the, in the, in the stove. We had a kerosene stove, you know. And uh, you go down to the store, it was like maybe here across the street. And I'd get my little can, you know, and I'd go down there. And the guy would just write it up on a book. At the end of the week, my dad would come by and pay the bill, you know, and everything. But anything we needed, well, he'd just write it up, Mr. Hall. And so he'd give me that kerosene. I'd go back, and it was my job to make sure it was in that tank everything and you just had responsibilities like that but it was amazing to me how that our mothers the mothers and my mom and your mom uh, how that they were just on top of things like this and they were always aware of everything and they saw everything and they could deal with everything and they just took everything in stride praise the lord and there's something about that that i appreciate very much about my mother in so many different ways uh she, uh, she helped raise her younger brothers, and uh, some of her younger brothers helped raise them, take care of them through hard times and so forth. And then when she got married and then I came along, well, then she, she just knew how to take care of things, how to do things, how to get things done. And we just learned from mom just how to just, we made our own toys, we made our own toys. You know, you, you couldn't buy anything in World War Two, you know, the war came along. You couldn't hardly buy anything. My dad, my dad one day brought home a cow. He said, okay, we can't get milk. He said, now we're going to have milk. So it was my job to make sure that cow was taken out to this lot out over, you know, not too far away and let him graze around and her graze and come back. But my mother had to milk that cow. <laughs> then I found out what churning's all about. You had to learn how to churn, you know. It was all that kind of stuff. We always had butter. We always had milk, you know. And then chickens. I mean, you're supposed to remember, women always had chickens. Moms always had chickens. And uh, had a chicken yard. You know, this stuff nowadays, they forbid all that. But this is what every, 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 every just about every mother had a, every woman had a, chick, a chicken yard, you know. And she had these chickens, you know, and, and everything. They laid eggs, and she always had eggs, you know. Sometimes more eggs than you could eat, so they sold them to the neighbors or people that didn't have chickens, you know, whatever. And people would rather have those yard eggs than the eggs out of the store and everything. And so she always had a little egg money, she called it, or whatever, or milk money, you know, and so forth. Uh, I remember whenever they kept buying, you know, cow feed. They'd get cow feed, you know, and feed the cow, and the cow, you know, cows come home, you know, in the evening, you got to milk them. And they always come home for that food and so forth, get milk. And uh, I remember that she'd buy this cow, uh, this, this cow, uh, cow food, cow, whatever it is, 
foot cows to eat. And, uh, and he came in a bag. Well, what these producers of this stuff begin to do, they begin to put them in bags that look like, look like cloth that you bought out of a, out of a cloth store. And so uh, they would say, when they went to buy cow feed, they, they'd say, let's see now. And they'd go down the line, they'd say, I don't want that bag, I don't want that bag, I don't want that bag. Or here's one I could make a dress out of. You see what I mean? And so they'd say, I'll take that bag of feed right there. Because the material was what they were looking for, that color, that style, whatever it is. And then whenever that cow feed was gone, then they washed up that material in the washing machine. And then they, they took it and they put it on the sewing machine. Next thing you know, they had a beautiful dress made out of it. You understand what I'm saying? It's just the way things, the way you did things, you know. And the next thing you know, I had a shirt made out of that stuff. <laughs> and a shirt. I said, Mom, this is a feed bag shirt. She said, it doesn't matter. It's, nobody never know the difference. You just, you just wear it. It's all right. And nobody ever did. You know, you just, you just wore it, you know. And everything. It was a shirt. If you didn't, you didn't have a new shirt. Now you had a new shirt, you know, and everything. So anyhow, it was just one of those things. But it's amazing how that, that moms have just can do stuff like that, you know. It was later on I got older that I'd better get out and be with my dad and work with him and go on jobs with him and learn things about the man's world. But in those early years, to be with my mother and for her to be so innovative and to have such background that she did. And Mom, I want to just thank you for all those good times that we had together, and all the things that we did, and all those kind of things. We just we appreciate it so very much. Praise the Lord. She, uh, when I was really very small, I, I don't even hardly remember this at all, like maybe two or three years old, and my, my younger sister, who's a year and a half younger than me, uh, when I was, when we, were, when we were in Vienna, Austria, I remember hearing Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony by, by, the, that, by that Vienna choir and uh, Vienna uh, orchestra. And I said, my Lord, I have heard that before. I've heard that before way back in my mind, like another life. I've heard that, that music before. And uh, so another, another piece of music too, I think it's Rhapsody in Blue. That was one I'd hear that and I'd say, boy, I, I can remember that way back in my mind. So one day I asked my mom, I said, mom, I want you to listen to these two pieces of music and tell me why I remember this music back from somewhere. And so I did and she, and she laughed and she says, when you were very small, like a little, not, not much more than a baby, you and your sister. She said, I used to go on the back porch of the house and I'd listen to my stories in the evening and I'd turn on WWL, which was New Orleans. This is Pensacola now. It's music coming out of New Orleans. And she said, I'd listen to my stories and these were the theme songs of those stories <laughs> and, they, and everything. And she said, I'd take my two children and I'd pull them in close to me and I'd just hug you and your sister and hold you close and I'd listen to my stories. Your dad was probably inside reading a book or he was, you know, working on something, everything. But I just had you and the children and everything. And I, even though I don't remember that, I remember that music. And then when I would hear that music, I'd think, man, where do I know that from, you know? 
And she said, that's where you got it from and everything. So it was just one of those coincidental things. But God bless our mothers. We appreciate mothers, Mother's Day. And uh, I could go on and on. I won't anymore. But just to say that I appreciate my mother very much. I know all of you do. And uh, remember this about your mom. There's only one of them. There's only one. Praise God. Love your mothers with all your heart. And the Bible says, honor your mother and father that your days may be long on the face of the earth. That's a promise from the Bible. That if it's the first commandment with promise, Jesus said. First commandment with promise. And that is that love your mother and father with all your heart. Love them, praise the Lord, and that your days may be long on the earth. Amen. So uh, God is good. He is great. And we appreciate that. I have about, uh, I've got about th- uh, 25 minutes here. I want you to look with me here in Romans. I'm going to go to our Bible lesson now, and this is going to really turn the coin over here. So I want you to go to Romans chapter 1 with us, and I'm going to pick up where I left off last week here concerning this study here that we're in about Paul and the judgments of God and the goodness of God. And I'm going to read uh, verse 21 uh, down through 23 first. So everybody with me on that? Amen. 21 verses 21 to verse 23. He says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Now, we talked to you about this last week, and I'm not going to go into detail. They were not thankful when they knew God. They glorified him not as God, and neither were they thankful. I'm going to say one word here, and that is that we who know God, folks, it is expected from God of us that we praise him and worship him and thank him. And by all means, thank the Lord. We, are, we have so much to thank the Lord for. If you don't know what to thank God for, just thank him for the fact that you're breathing. Thank him for the fact that you got a heartbeat going, you know, in your bosom here today. Uh, so many things. Thank him for your home, for your family. Thank him for uh, your children. If you don't have, if you've got grandchildren for them, just thank him for your friends. Thank you for the saints of God. Uh, thank him for a good church to go to. Thank him for padded pews that we can sit on. I mean, have you remember old old benches and hard seats that we used to sit on in church? Sure, we used to have those kind of things, you know. And uh, and so God is just good. Air condition. I remember when we didn't have air condition. We went to church anyhow in Florida, you know. And uh, it was hot. It had a bunch of windows down the side, a bunch of them over here. Sometimes they had fans blowing, one side blowing out, and the air all coming on this side, and everybody wanted to sit on this side, you know, where the air was coming in so they could have all the fresh, cool air. All those things, but now we have air conditioned. God is good. So we have a lot to thank the Lord for. Thank Him for your automobile that you drive. Thank Him for the home you live in. Thank Him for your job. Praise the Lord. Thank Him for America. I thank God for our nation. I'm still so appreciative for this country and for the fact that we have the freedom to worship God, to go to church. Nobody is standing out there checking passports or identification or anything like that. You just, you just walk in and you can worship the Lord. And if you ever get a little loud or noisy or you get a little rambunctious, nobody's going to say anything. You just worship God and glorify God. Praise the Lord. It's all right. And I thank God for that because of America that we live in. I have been in countries where you had to be very quiet, you had to be very sedated, had to be very, you know, you know, real hush-hush 
And uh, you never knew what that was a KGB agent sitting out somewhere out in the service, you know. I've been to Russia where they'd be sitting out in the, in the service or something when you're trying to have church. So all of those things are in other countries, but in America we still have the freedom to worship, praise the Lord and glorify God. So we know God, and so the Bible here says, because they, when they knew God, this is speaking about another generation, uh, because when they knew God, they glorified him not of God, neither were thankful. This is that generation that followed Noah and his sons and came along and got on up to Abraham's time, which was the fifth, tenth generation from Noah. And then following that was the Jewish people them, themselves. When God had made them his special people, that came a time whenever they did not glorify God and praise God and thank him. And it goes on to say here, it goes and says, but, because, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, I used this chart last week to, uh, to illustrate here uh, the fall of man in this sense of the word as it is described uh, here in this first chapter of the book of, of Romans. And this is all about Romans, Romans 121 through, one tw through the 23rd verse, just uh, three verses, four verses here. Uh, three verses. And so the knowledge of God, but no worship, and they were unthankful. Uh, I don't know why we just can't be thankful to God. God, thank you for everything. Thank you for everything. The fact that we exist, we should be thankful for it. I won't go any further into all of this. I talked about it last week. It went on to say that because they became vain in their imaginations, and when you become unthankful and you do not worship God, Next thing you know, we become the center of our world, the center of our universe. We, I, me, mine, we become first in everything. Everything's about me. And that is a, that is a bad way to go. That's, 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 uh, that's a bad frame of mind and an attitude to take on. We have to remember that God is everything. Jesus is everything. And others are ahead of us. If you'll always remember, praise the Lord, to think of God and others, folks, your life will be happier, you will be happier, and you'll be more blessed. Amen. But if we only think about ourselves, myself, all the time, and this is what that generation began to do. So here's what the scripture says here in the 21st verse. It says that not, they were not thankful, but, and became, but be, became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Their foolish heart was darkened. And so this shows here how their heart began to dark. This little cloud here begins to be formed here. And the next thing you know, instead of reading the Bible, they're reading foolish books, stories, weird stuff. I don't know whether it's me or whether I'm just picking up on something, but it seems to me like the things of the world are just getting weird to me in a lot of things. Uh, I don't know whether... I've lost touch. I know. I know my age is 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 there. You know. I know. I know. I'm I'm over 29. You know. You know. I know. But, but you know. <laughs> but I don't know what it is. But there's something about things that I'm I see on TV or some sometimes even a, just a, a wholesome story, a movie or something you may see, and there's weird things. Everything is this stuff about the devil and the dead. And I don't know what it is about America that we've become fascinated with dead people. You know, I was driving along in a car and I saw this Jeep and this big cover on this spare tire on the back. 
and it had some guy that was a skeleton there, you know, running a pirate ship and had a parrot on his shoulder. And he's, he's, he's steering a, a ship in the sea, you know, big picture on the back of this, this thing. And he's driving this ship and everything as a pirate ship, I guess. But he's a skeleton. He's not even, I mean, he's a skeleton. There's a skull under all the hood and everything. And I think, what's that supposed to be? What's that supposed to represent, you know? And I, and I fear that it is America laughing at the dead. And that's a sad thing to do that. That's a sad thing to do that because we have life because God gives life, but we respect the dead, praise the Lord. In Israel, in Israel, where there's a cemetery, I don't care if it's 1,000, 2,000 years old, they respect it. They were building a road over there in one place up there near the, the Sea of Galilee uh, and near the, the town of Tiberias. And uh, they started putting this road through and they came across an old cemetery and they said, stop everything. And they covered everything, they backed it up and they run the road way around that area, even though it was a long way around because they said, this is an old cemetery, we don't even know who, who is buried here, but we don't go any further. They respect that. And uh, I, I think there's gotta be a respect, but we have gotten into this place where there's no respect for that. And witchcraft, oh my God, I'm seeing more and more of that stuff. And I'm saying, God, I don't know, maybe America is getting to that place where God's trying to give us a wake-up call. I start seeing, you know, tornadoes and floods, and I'm starting to see now earthquake, potential earthquakes coming, and uh, I'm, I'm hearing about that. People doing crazy things like walking into a place of business and shooting people, you know, and everything. I pray every day. I pray for my daughter. She's a principal of an elementary school, as you know. I pray every day for her and her school and all the kids in that school and all the staff and all the teachers in that school. Every day I pray for them, you know. I pray for all of my grandkids. Every day I pray for them, you know. This is part of my, this is part of my routine. Pray for your loved ones. Pray for your family. I pray for my children. You know, I pray for many of you. I do. I'm, I'm serious because I feel like that God has to keep his hand on us and that this world is just getting crazier and crazier and crazier. And it lets me know that we're coming close to the time of the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming back soon. Praise God. Let me move on here. I want to touch base on a few things here. It goes on to say here, and this is, I'm really covering, sort of covering some things that I mentioned last week. It goes on to say, professing to be wise, they became fools. This is mentioned a great deal in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. But I won't go there and, and get into that one. But anyhow, it talks about how they became fools and thinking that they were wise. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And verse 23, this is where it all goes then. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. And this is uh, representing an image here that man made for himself. Uh, and that unto birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, and they made the things that had been created by God to be gods themselves, you know, and so forth. And it goes on and on. And then it goes on to say here, and this is where I want to pick up today, and I want to talk to you about this, the 24th verse. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, it mentions here. I'm going to talk about the word, the phrase, God gave them up. This is the part I'm going to emphasize here this morning. But it says, wherefore God also gave 
them up. There comes a point where God says, I'm not going to go any further with my grace. This is it. The Bible says in one place, God will not always strive with man. And there comes a place, folks, that God says, that's it. That's enough. I'm going to give them up. No more. Amen. And here, of course, it says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Uh, this is speaking of homosexuality, actually, through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, uh, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. And then it goes on to say in verse 26, it's repeated, for this cause God gave them up. And of course, it uses the word vile affections and the vile affections. God gave them up two places here, verse 24. Verse 26, for this cause, God gave them up. In other words, God said, okay, it's, uh, it's more than I want to deal with anymore. Look at verse 28. I'm just skipping down here to keep, keep with the same thought. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. What I'm pointing out to you here is that God is a God of love and he's a God of great grace. But there comes a place where God says, that's it. I'm not going any further. I have seen where they go with this thing, and it's going to be, it's going to, judgment's got to come. And that's why Paul is talking about it, because he says, just like God has extended to us his grace, if it's rejected and it's turned down and we throw it aside, there comes a place and a point with God in which God says, I'll not go any further and he gives them up, or he turns them over to a reprobate mind to believe a lie and be damned. This is what the scripture here says in that, in that 28th verse. God gave them, to, uh, gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, and, uh, and so forth. And verse 31, without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, and so forth. So these are scriptures here where God just simply says, I'm just going to turn them up over. I'm going, to, I'm going to give them up. I want you to look also at the book of uh, Psalms with me for a moment. This is speaking of a time when God did that with Israel. He, he uh, loved Israel, wanted Israel to be saved. And uh, in the 81st chapter of Psalms, in the 12th verse, it says, So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust. I just gave them up. Just gave up on them. I just turned them over to it. And they walked in their own counsels. And the Lord says, okay, I've worked with them. I've tried. I've tried to do all these things that I might save them. But there comes a place and a point where that he just says, I'm going to just give up on them. Uh, here's another scripture found in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 42. This is where Stephen was preaching just before he was stoned by the, by, by the Jews in his day. He was the first martyr in the early church. <clears throat> Stephen was a young preacher, and uh, the Bible says and that Peter that Stephen was preaching here, and he says in verse 42, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. This is the Jews who God said, I am God and I alone, there is no other God beside me, and the next thing you know, they were worshiping all of these false gods, gods of the Babylonians, gods of the Egyptians, gods of the Phoenicians gods of the Zidonians, and they would begin to worship all these gods. 
and a lot of them were gods. They said that they had places and things in heaven. Some of the stars were like, you know, like those gods. And so they worshiped the gods of heaven. He said, and God says, I just gave them up to that. That's what you want to do, go ahead. But when, you, when God gives us up, then that path will take us down the wrong way. Now, for each of us as individuals, folks, stay on the right track with God. Always stay on the right track with the Lord. Serve the Lord. Walk with him. Believe in him. Trust in him. God will never fail. But God can allow a nation to go the wrong way. If he should allow America to go in its own direction and America becomes a sinful nation, God has been good to this country, but if it becomes a sinful nation, he knows how to keep his people. He knows how to keep the righteous. He knows how to preserve and spare us and keep his hand on us. Don't ever worry about that part of it. But always remember, God will keep his hand on America. I mean, upon his people in America. And even though America itself may not always go in the right direction. Another verse of scripture that I'm going to read to you is uh, one found over here in this, uh, in this I think it's over here in uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians, and this is one that many of you recognize as being that of the Antichrist. I'm going to read verse 8 here. This is chapter 2, and this is what will happen. This is what's going to happen in the future. This is uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 8. And then shall that wicked one be revealed. This is 2-8. It doesn't say wicked one, even though I'm saying one, because the word wicked is in capital letters, meaning that it is a proper, uh, proper noun. And meaning that in this case, it would be the person that's being spoken of here. Nouns, a person, place, or things. This is a proper meaning. It's a specific one. So I'm using the word one there to emphasize that. And then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. We know that to be the Antichrist because the Antichrist is going to rise in the tribulation period. And God will come back and he will deal with that and destroy him. That's all in the book of Revelation. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Lying wonders. Signs and lying wonders. There be wonders, but there be lying wonders. Verse 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because, now this is why they will perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And can I just say this to all of us today here? If we do not love the truth, we do not love the truth, we'll not be saved. You gotta love the truth. It's not just having the truth, we gotta love the truth, praise God. And so it says, and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Verse 11, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusions. Okay, so God is going to say, okay, I've dealt with them. I'm, I'm not going to deal with them anymore. What I'm trying to say here is that God comes to the final place and where he says, I'm not going to deal anymore. I'm not going to deal with them anymore. I'm just trying to say here, when God gives us the opportunity to be saved, we should walk in it. Walk in the light as he's in the light. And we should walk with the Lord in that truth 
in that wonderful spirit of holiness, that wonderful spirit of light and life and truth that God gives that we might walk with him with all of our hearts. I'm reading a verse of scripture here as found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. That's the truth. And to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So God can also do that. So I'm pointing out to you here that because of the grace of God that's extended to us, let us not frustrate the grace of God. The Bible says, Paul said in one place, I do not frustrate the grace of God. God has been so good to me. God has been so good to us. I don't frustrate that by just taking advantage of everything and not appreciating God, not praising him, not being thankful, not worshiping God, not going to church, not you know, living the life. I don't, I don't want to frustrate the grace of God because God will not always strive with man. And there will come a time that he will say it's enough and he begins to deal with things. Amen. And so it goes on to say here that, uh, it, that to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Verse 10, I'm reading here now from 2 Peter 2, chapter 2, verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise governments, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. They lose that respect and that, that uh, the honor of God. And they just say, oh, well, it does nothing matters, you know. We had a, I think it was a, was a week, couple weeks ago, we had a guy come in here. He sat down out here you one on, in my Bible class. And then he props his feet up on top of the pew in front of him. He lays his feet up like that, you know. He sticks his foot up there like he's in his living room. Sticks his feet up on a hassock or something, you know. He lays right, he puts his feet up. And I looked, I said, dear God, doesn't this guy know he's in the house of God? He's got one foot hiked up, you know. Boy, I tell you, the ushers were on top of him like, like ants on a crumb. Boy, they were, they were right there. And so they, anyhow, they told him, you can't do that, you know, and everything. He started going off, and they said, you're going to go out. They took him outside and everything. He started carrying on. They said, look, you might as well just go ahead and go. So they sent him on down the road. I don't know who the guy was. I don't know where he came from. But his contempt for the things of God, and this is what the Bible talks about presumptuous sins, presumptuous thing it's like no respect for the things of God and the Lord talks about if a man breaks a commandment this is what he does that he might receive forgiveness from God but if it's presumptuous that means if if he does it without any uh, consciousness of saying this is wrong I'm not showing respect to God uh, and so forth and then the Lord says look there's a place there that I'm just gonna I'm just gonna cut it off you don't, uh, you, don't, you don't have no more rights with me, you know. And God turns them over. Uh, look at that 14th verse I'm reading down here. Now, let's, let me finish reading this 10th verse. 2.10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. They're presumptuous. But down in verse 14 having eyes full of adultery and they cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart that they have ex, uh, exercised with covetous practices, pra uh, practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bezor, who loved the wages of, of unrighteousness. Showing you here 
how that it is possible for any one of us to say, oh, I'm just going to do my own thing, my own way, live my own life, and so forth. And finally the Lord says, okay, he gives us up. He turns us over. It's all over with. He just, it's just gone. So there are things that I think we all have to understand that God says I will not tolerate. This, uh, this is interesting. I'm going to read once again here in Romans 1, going back to Romans 1, verse 26, where it says that God gave them up to uncleanness and so forth. It says here, for this cause God gave them up with, unto vile affections. He allowed it to happen. Even their women did, not, did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also men having the natural use of the woman, leaving the natural use of the woman and burning in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseen. He's talking about homosexuality here. I don't care how much the gay movement or whatever they like want to say. It's in the Bible here, and it's condemned in the Bible. And you can go over here in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and so forth, and it speaks very, very clearly on those things, you know, that this is a sin God does not tolerate. You can go to the 19th chapter of the book of Genesis, where those angels went to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy it. And, uh, and Sodom was just eaten up with this uh, homosexuality. And, uh, and so these two angels went there. They looked like just young men that went there to tell Lot and his family, get out of this place. God's going to destroy it tomorrow morning. And uh, so when they went in the house, these bunch of these perverts all came to the door. and They demanded of Lot that he turn over these young men to them. And uh, he says, no, no, I can't do that and everything. And they kept carrying on and they tried to break the door down. The angels just said to Lot, stand aside. And they walked up to the door and did like this and all those guys went blind. They're all blind, they couldn't see. They started feeling their way, trying to find out how to get back and get out of there, you know. And then, the, then they said to Lot, get your family together and get ready because tomorrow morning we're leaving this place, God's gonna destroy it. And he did. He sent fire down from heaven to destroy it. And everything, destroy that whole place. That the whole area, it's still, it's still a disastrous looking area. It's down there at the, at the, at the uh, south end of that Dead Sea. And uh, it's just desert and salty and nothing grows in this pathetic area. It's, it still remains. And it will stay that way until Jesus comes back at Armageddon and he puts his foot down on Mounts, uh, Mount of Olives and that mountain splits open. And that water, healing water, comes out and flows back down in there and heals that water. It'll stay that way until then. But this is the things that God, praise the Lord, he gives us a chance to be saved. I want to say to everybody here, my time's gone. Today is the day of salvation, folks. I don't know how long we have, but I believe Jesus is coming soon. And I think we need to be ready to go when the Lord comes. And if you've ever thought about getting right with God, getting ready to meet him, today is the day to do that. This is the best time in the world to find the Lord. And can I just say the door of salvation is wide open. It's not closed, it's not slowly closing. It will stand wide open until the day that the Lord closes and when he does, it is shut. Just like Noah's ark, it was wide open to the day Noah went in the ark. Seven days later, God left it wide open. And then whenever it came to the time to close it, God closed it, he did it suddenly. And after that, nobody could get in the ark and nobody could get out, God had closed the door. Let's stand together and let's just lift our hands and praise him right now and thank him. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God. We magnify the name of the Lord, how great you are. Oh, Savior, wonderful friend. God, we praise you for all things. Bless this congregation this morning, Lord. Bless our morning service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.